I'm excited for week two of the Just Like Barnabas series. Last week, talked about Barnabas as encourager. This week, talk about Barnabas as generous. Acts 4, 37. You are listening to the Brentwood Baptist Church Life Group Leader Podcast, a resource to equip and encourage group leaders on their journey toward being disciples and making disciples through life groups. I hope you had a good first week in the Just Like Barnabas series. We had the simulcast where Mike was preaching to all campuses from the Brentwood campus, elevating this uh, vision series that we're in right now where we're talking like Barnabas and how... We are being called to commit ourselves to the great kingdom work to which the Brentwood Baptist family is called. And it's a really exciting time. So I hope you had a great time with your groups on encouragement. I certainly did with the group I filled in with. I had a real, real powerful time there uh, where they were sharing some about who their best encouragers were. Some of those icebreakers, particularly from the short study guide, but then really walked them through a broader understanding of, of encouragement as opposed to what they may normally think about in terms of um, in terms of the general English understanding of encouragement is just general uplifting, that there is a kind of discernment and exhortation. There couldn't be comfort, but just gave them a broader range to say, we're called to be that, go be that like Barnabas, however it looks in your personality type and your sphere of influence. So it was a really good time. I really enjoyed it. I want to exhort you now and i hammered this i probably belabored it too much where some people i'm sure got angry with me when i was talking about this but i reiterate once again the number one indicator of spiritual growth in individuals is their daily engagement with the scriptures daily bible reading to that end if you'll look towards the end of whichever personal study guide long or short or the leader guide and it says for next week it has a list of texts there so the text that'll be for this coming week that leads into the Acts 437, uh, yeah, the Acts 437 series, Monday, Acts 432, Tuesday, 2 Corinthians 9, Wednesday, 1 John 3, Thursday, 1 Timothy 6, Friday, 2 Corinthians 9, Saturday, Luke 12. And it's usually three, no more than five verses, I think, on any of those, but it gives them a daily reading. It also syncs up with our journey on today daily reading which you can get both online or you can just download the app and get it fed to you every day subscribe get it fed to you in your email so i'll put a link to that so we have opportunity after opportunity either take your study guides take what's in the book and go read those texts each day to prepare for the upcoming week or you can have it digitally sent to you if you don't want to go look it up yourself fine Uh, but we need to be in the scriptures daily if you ask yourself what do I want for my people between now and the end of 2018? Do I, how do I want them to grow? Do I want them to be more matured? Of course we all do. Well, then the answer to that is not to study harder, although you ought to study hard. The answer to that is not to go get extra degrees, though it's good to get extra degrees and uh, certificates and the like. It's not to teach more profound lessons each week, whether in your home or on your campus. If you want your people to grow Drive them, exhort them, encourage them to be in the scriptures daily. You want to see change, get them into the scriptures. Your lesson in many ways is only as good as the spiritual soil 
uh, to in which you you invest it. That spiritual soil is their daily disciplines. Your lesson is kind of like water, I guess, or fertilizer on top of that. You know, they got to be tilling that soil themselves. We got to drive them into the scriptures. And the curriculum is designed to help them do that. So Acts 4.37, uh, another short one, <laughs> one verse last week, one verse this week. And the uh, curriculum is going to jump to 2 Corinthians. So again, my encouragement, provide space. Provide space for your people to comment on how they were impacted by their daily scripture readings, how they were impacted by the lessons, the questions, the illustrations, the reflections, etc. within the curriculum. But then you go where you need to go uh, with this text. So Acts 4.37, sold is the first word, but it comes off of Barnabas sold. So Barnabas is our subject here. Barnabas sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So elevating Barnabas is generous, so it's pretty obvious in that text. He sold a field, took the proceeds, gave it to the apostles to do what they would for kingdom work. Last week, I grabbed encouragement, and I taught you how to go through Bible Hub and uh, conjugate terms, conjugate words, uh, how to look up where they're used in scripture elsewhere so you can have a number of texts to give them a broader semantic range, a broader range of definitions on what encouragement is. This week, I'm going to do something a little different with the group than what I did last week. I'm not going to hunt down any of these terms because I don't think any of them are that compelling in and of themselves. What's compelling is the action and the faith that's in the action. And I think this is what Luke was after. I mean, Luke is a great historian and he just does report the history. But even within history, you're trying to tell a story and you're trying to make a point. So it's no coincidence that right after Barnabas is elevated for selling the field and giving the money to the apostles, again, our curriculum jumps to Second Corinthians, what I would do and what I'm going to do after I let my group debrief and share what they want to share and take it where they want to take it, I'm going to contrast that with Ananias and Sapphira. The reason I'm going to do that is because that's what Luke did. <laughs> Luke said Barnabas brought the money, gave it to the apostles' feet, and was all acting in faith. Ananias and Sapphira did the same thing. That's what verse 1 of chapter 5 says. They sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge, so they're both complicit in this, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan Build your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land while it remained unsold. Did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and he breathed his last. And then a great fear came upon all who heard of it. Now, then it goes on and talks about the wife did the same thing. <laughs> so they both lied and they both died uh, because of because of that. I think there's a lot of interesting things in this text. Verse four is the one that sticks out to me the most because it demonstrates a very much different character and heart between Barnabas and Ananias. Uh, I'm reading in the New American Commentary now on Acts in uh, chapter five, verse four. They comment, Peter reminded Ananias that he had been under no compulsion. He did not have to sell his land. Even if he sold it, he still could have retained the proceeds. The act of dedicating the land to the community was strictly voluntary. Once pledged, however, it became a wholly different matter. 
It had been dedicated to the community. And lying about those proceeds, he had broken a sacred trust. Ultimately, he lied to God. He had betrayed the community, but he had lied to the Holy Spirit. The Expositor's Bible Commentary talks about it this way. Peter did not view the action of Ananias and Sapphira as merely incidental. He spoke of it as inspired by Satan and as a lie to both the Holy Spirit and God. It was a case of deceit and was an affront, not just on the community level, but also and primarily before God. Deceit is spiritually disastrous, a sin, whatever its supposed justification, that sours every personal relationship. Where there is even the suspicion of misrepresentation and deception, trust is completely violated. So just like Ananias was under no compulsion to sell his land, and once he sold it was under no compulsion to give it to the community, he decided to dedicate it, but then to lie about the dedication, to lie about what he was giving, claiming that he was giving all of it, when in reality he was holding back some amount of it. Barnabas, on the other hand, was also under no compulsion, but he did give over the proceeds entirely to the community of faith to be done with whatever the kingdom work was called to. Uh, again, reiterating verse 437, he sold the field that belonged to him and brought the money, implying all of it, and laid it at the apostles' feet. Ananias sells the land, holds some of the money back, brings part of it, but lies about that, saying he had brought all of it. Ananias is not judged for not giving everything. He's judged for lying about what he was giving. Um, God was not angry that he had held something back in the moment. Does God want us to hold back? I don't think so. But I, but I do think God is willing to work with that, to continue to develop and nurture us, that we're obedient in small things, then we get more responsibility, become obedient in larger things. Barnabas, though, is the ideal, is that he sold it and didn't hold anything back. He was not only giving over of the money to the community of faith, but he was also giving over himself to the community of faith. And we're going to learn throughout the rest of this series what great works to which he was called with the church in Antioch, with John Mark, uh, with the missionary journeys, just stunning uh, what Barnabas became, whereas Ananias and Sapphira end in death. And I think we can take that metaphorically. I'm not saying metaphorically they died. I think they literally died. I'm saying we can use that as a word picture or a metaphor now for the life of obedience being um, life-giving and leading to joy and leading to a fulfilled and dedicated life in Christ versus disobedience which leads to death. That even people who hold back from the Lord and particularly those who lie uh, to the Lord, that they are functionally for kingdom purposes dead. Whether or not they really die like Ananias and Sapphira died here, they're functionally dead with respect to the kingdom because they're not being who they were called to be in Christ. They're not becoming all that Christ would have them to become because they haven't submitted themselves to that calling. So I, I, I just think it's just right there. I think it's what Luke did. And I think is what we ought to do is just compare and contrast those two. Compare Barnabas and Ananias. Compare Barnabas and Sapphira. So the last thing I want to share, a good text to go to in terms of generosity, is that I guess when I think about why people aren't generous is generally fear on the positive side. So to say that if we're, if we're assuming they're genuine, that they are authentic believers, they do want to do well, there's usually fear 
because they don't understand God or his promises. So they're living out of fear. If I give this away, then I'll suffer certain consequences in my life. They won't have enough money to cover X, Y, or Z. On the other side, I guess would be pride. That'd be Ananias and Sapphira, sort of the, the greed and the pride side of things. But there was a text I learned in the first school I went to up in Ohio um, by at an atheist professor at a divinity school for ethics. And he shared this text with us one day and it just, it stuck with me. It's one of my favorite texts in all the Bible and it's Deuteronomy eight. And Moses is encouraging the people to not misinterpret God's promises when they come into the promised land that God has already promised to bless them above and beyond. They are going to experience that wonder of God's goodness and prosperity in Christ that goodness and that prosperity through the Lord's hand. But there's always the opportunity to interpret that for one's own pride and self-righteousness. And so I think this text can speak to both the fear and to the pride. So I'll begin in verse 16, Deuteronomy chapter eight. I'll begin in verse 16. He fed you in the wilderness with manna, which your fathers had not known in order to humble you and test you so that in the end he might cause you to prosper. Remember the end, I want you to prosper. All right, verse 17. You may say to yourself, and this is when they come into the land and they flourish, you may say to yourself, my power and my own ability have gained this wealth for me, but remember that the Lord your God gives you the power to gain wealth in order to confirm his covenant he swore to your fathers as it is today. So to combat the fear we say, look, the Lord showed up faithfully in the wilderness to have them endure through it. And then he showed up, as we see play out in the conquest narratives of Joshua and then all throughout the rest of the Old Testament, he did prosper them in the land. And then on the side of pride, obviously, it's a direct indictment against people's prides that God even gives you the energy and the power to put out the effort to do the work. You can never get away from the truth of the sustaining grace of God in each of our lives. So no matter how talented or wonderful or independent you think you are, remember it. It's God that sustains every breath in you. And it's God that gives you the energy to do the work. And he does it to conform his covenant with you. He does it to reap glory so that we revel and we have joy in the greatness of God. So that we find so much contentment and peace in the glory of our God. He prospers us to affirm his covenant, to expand his kingdom. I think this is going to be a good series. I hope everyone was edified by the simulcast. It'll be back to the campus-specific visions next week. Uh, So you'll be leading your groups out of that, that campus-specific vision. But it's going to be over the generosity of Barnabas. And I think even though the texts are slim pickings in some ways, just one verse, I think Barnabas is going to be a great model. Looking back, so I sit on preaching team. It's one of the, the great privileges, I guess, of being a philosopher. They just kind of drag me around to stuff, uh, being a philosopher and theologian, places I have no business being. But I get to sit on the preaching team, the preaching retreat, when when we plan out the sermons. Again, write them in pencil because, I mean, the Spirit could move in a different way, but much prayer, much fasting, much thought and scripture study goes into planning that, even this early planning out 2019. 
But as we look back over 2018, we saw that our people were moved by a consistent story that they related to individuals very well. So biblical characters and then following the life of those biblical characters. So like we did with Moses back in the spring, uh, our people were edified by that. Our people responded to that. And I think it's going to be the same here with Barnabas. Seeing Barnabas for seven weeks, seeing Barnabas um, as the great hero he was in the early church and in the scriptures, but also seeing someone that we can emulate. We can be like Barnabas. Uh, Mike loves to say that. Paul? Nah. I mean, I don't know if I can be like Paul a lot of times. Uh, he he was radically unique in so many ways in some of the stuff he did uh, in his teaching and his writing and preaching. But you look at Barnabas and you say, I can be that guy. And that's, that's part of the, the beauty of this series is that some, something that's attainable. And as we're more like Barnabas, we're going to be more like Christ because he was a faithful man. And as we emulate that, we will come to a deeper understanding of our purpose and our calling within what the Spirit is doing for the kingdom through Brentwood Baptist Church.